guys. Welcome to Relatable. Today, I am talking to Justin Haskins. This guy is the foremost expert that I know um, on The Great Reset. He has written about this. He's done a variety of interviews on this. This guy really knows the ins and outs of what The Great Reset is. He's going to help us separate conspiracy theory from uh, what's actually going on and what we should be concerned about. And I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation. Without further ado, here is Justin Haskins. Justin, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's it's great to be with you. Can you tell everyone who may not know who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, My name is Justin Haskins. I am the editorial director at the Heartland Institute, which is a national free market think tank. And uh, part of what I do at the Heartland Institute is run our Stopping Socialism project, Mm. uh, which features a website, StoppingSocialism.com. We've done a book. We've done all sorts of different things, speaking engagements and articles and all kinds of great stuff. So uh, my main focus, honestly, is usually um, socialism related topics. Uh, I also write a column for for Fox News, and I write a lot for Fox Business and a whole bunch of other websites. I've been I've worked for the Blaze before, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of of the Blaze and Glenn Beck and all of that. So, right. um, yeah, so all sorts of different things. Cool. But socialism is my main topic area. Got it. And today we're talking about the Great Reset. A lot of people have been asking me to talk about this, but it's kind of hard to separate fact from fiction. I've I've realized because some of it seems like straight up conspiracy theory, some of it seems legitimate. And so I'm hoping that today, because you've been talking about this a lot recently, you are able to help us kind of wade through what is true and what is not. So first, can you just set it up for us? Can you tell us what the Great Reset is? Where did this phrase come from? Is it real? Right, right. So the the Great Reset, uh, the the modern Great Reset movement began... uh, Really, at least the term the Great Reset, because it's really existed for a very long time in different forms. But the modern Great Reset movement began earlier this year, uh, primarily at this event hosted by the World Economic Forum, which is this very large, very powerful, influential international organization, nonprofit organization based in Switzerland. They're the folks that hold that big annual Davos meeting Mm -hmm. full of celebrities and uh, heads of state and all of that every year. Uh, and they hosted this big meeting in June, that uh, at the very beginning of June, uh, where they rolled out this plan for a great reset. That's that's the phrase that they came up with, and uh, this great reset of the global economy, using COVID nineteen as sort of the initial justification for why we needed to have this great reset of the global economy. And at this event, um, they had all sorts of incredibly powerful, influential people there talking openly about supporting this great reset. And some of the things that they were saying were just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, For example, the head of the World Economic Forum, this is probably one of the best quotes uh, about the great reset, uh, wrote this article right around the same time that they had this event for the World Economic Forum. And he said that the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies from education and social contracts and working conditions. Every country from the United States to China must participate and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. Um, And from there, there were all sorts of other people, uh, Prince Charles, uh, heads of major corporations like Microsoft, uh, Bank of America, other people who who spoke about this, uh, international nonprofits like uh, Greenpeace International, for example, International Monetary Fund, United Nations, I mean, you name it, if you're a really powerful person, you have come out and spoken in favor of the Great Reset in some fashion or another. And a lot of them did it at this initial event held uh, by the World Economic Forum in June. Um, now, what exactly is the Great Reset? That's that's the question that everyone's asking. Um, it's complicated to nail down, okay? They talk, they, they love to talk in these sort of big, broad, grand language about ushering in this new economic era uh, and, and um, uh, you know, like you just heard from Klaus Schwab, revamping all aspects of our society. But what exactly does it mean? Well, when you, when you read through the massive amount of Great Reset literature, 
speeches, presentations that they've given, it essentially comes down to two main parts. The first part is they want these big, massive social programs, the sort of things that you would normally think of when you think of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders or people like that. Right. Like Green New Deal, federal jobs guarantee, uh, single-payer health care, all of that. That's one part of it. Mm -hmm. The other part of it is completely changing the way that businesses are evaluated so that um, businesses aren't just evaluated based on profit or how good their services are or what their customers think of businesses, but they evaluate these businesses based on those things plus a whole bunch of left-wing goals. And uh, how good are, how woke are you essentially is what they're looking to do. So that the entire, and this isn't just in America, it's not just in Europe, but they wanna do this all over the world. And together, these two main components are the great reset. Um, So COVID was the initial justification. The economy was destroyed deliberately by government. um, And that was their justification for needing to rebuild it, to take this golden opportunity, as Prince Charles called it, to usher in this great reset. And the long-term justification is the so-called climate crisis that we're facing. um, And that's the, the reason why we need to do this, even if COVID goes away. So I think that's a I know there's a lot there that I that I threw out there, but I think that, yeah. that gives you sort of a broad summary of what the Great Reset is. So I think part of um, well, you can tell me if this is a conspiratorial conclusion that people are jumping to. You know, there are some people who um, I think that there was some kind of event. I forget what it was called last year where and Bill Gates was a part of it, which just adds to the conspiratorial nature of even saying this because he's the center of a lot of conspiracy theories. And, and, and some accusations obviously are true. Um, uh, but there was an event last year where they uh, pretended to have a pandemic and it was a coronavirus pandemic. And they talked about, you know, what they would do um, at, uh, in the government and how they would handle that sort of thing. So some people are looking at something like that and then they are looking at where this virus came from. China. Uh, They're looking at these major organizations like the WHO, who seems to be in bed with China and actually helped China cover up part of the coronavirus in their reporting in the very beginning. And then they're hearing politicians in America at the beginning of the year, like AOC, as you were saying, saying not the words Great Reset, but this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to change things. This is an opportunity to push the programs that we want. And then we hear something like, the Great Reset. And so in a lot of people's minds, and I think understandably, all of these things start coming together and people start to ask this question, Is was the coronavirus manufactured for this purpose to cause the Great Reset? Or are these major world economies or economists and powers using this very, you know, this organically begun uh, virus to pass there and push their agenda. So what is your take on that just for the people who find themselves kind of wondering those forbidden questions? <laughs> right. So uh, that's a great question. Uh, the event that you're referring to occurred, I believe it was in October. It was definitely in the fall of 2019. Yeah. It was called Event 201. Okay. And it was uh, co-hosted not only by Bill Gate, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, but also Johns Hopkins, which has been one of the leading voices on uh, handling the coronavirus and all of that, and the World Economic Forum. They were also one of the co-hosts of this. And of course, they're one of the biggest supporters of the Great Reset. Uh, so it's very easy easy to see how having a big event just a few months before the pandemic breaks out, uh, talking about how we would handle a big pandemic would lead to all these conspiracy theories. In my experience, and there's probably nobody on the face of the planet who's read more uh, literature about the Great Reset than I have and has been more immersed in this than I have. Um, My take on it is that I don't believe that there was any sort of deliberate creation of a pandemic in order to create this Great Reset. What I think was going on is that they were and have been for many years, the same, same group of people, similar people, preparing for any kind of an opportunity that they could get to usher in something like the Great Reset. Mm -hmm. And this was just part of that preparation. You could probably find things in 2018, 2017, 2016, where they were doing very similar things. 
because they've been waiting for this opportunity for a long time. So when the pandemic came along, it was it was for them the, the perfect excuse to do the things that they've always wanted to do. They've been waiting for that moment for a long time. And sometimes it, they're waiting for a pandemic. Other times they've been trying to, to sort of manufacture this existential climate change crisis. That's been something they've been trying to do for a long, long time to usher in many of the same programs. So I don't think that uh, that there was any sort of a conspiracy to create the pandemic, but I do think that they were waiting, they were willing, they were eager to use the pandemic as a justification for beginning this whole Great Reset process. And do the lockdowns, I think another question that people have, okay, well, are some of the lockdowns, which seem to be in a lot of cases very arbitrary, and uh, they kind of spontaneously pop up, they're not correlated to any kind of of data, do these kind of shutdowns of small businesses, of restaurants, of schools, of people who are just trying to get by, does that have anything to do with the hope of precipitating the, the Great Reset? Or is that just, again, a part of a conspiracy theory and really the, the lockdowns that are being pressed by these Democratic politicians and this whole big Great Reset agenda they just happen to coincide, but they're not actually cooperating. Uh, so I think initially the primary reason that you had so many lockdowns was because, remember, you had a lot of conservative governments or so, so-called conservative governments locking everything down, too. Yeah. Uh, who, these people would not support a Great Reset, right? right? I think initially politicians are just trying to cover their butts, right? That's, yeah. that's one of the first things that politicians do. And so I, I think what they were trying to do is, is it, they didn't want to be – uh, the first, they didn't want to be a politician that that allows things to stay open, and then thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people in their state die as a result of keeping everything open. And at the time, there were public health experts saying that no matter what we do, you are going to have maybe over a million people die from coronavirus, no matter what right. happens. That right. There were people saying that at the time. So I think initially it was more of just an overreaction in certain cases. The yeah. lockdowns, the way they rolled them out never made any sense. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was just an overreaction. Over time, though, when we started getting more data and more evidence and it became very clear that these lockdowns weren't working, we could see that in other countries around the world where they were locking everything down and it still wasn't stopping the pandemic from happening. When we started realizing that most of the people who were dying were older people, they were people with, with pre-existing health conditions, they were people who were living in nursing homes. It wasn't. It didn't make any sense to lock down uh, you know, people who are in their 30s in Iowa, it, it, why would you do that? That's not where people are getting sick and dying. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think over time, what the left realized was two things. Number one, it would help them accomplish their goals to keep things locked down. OK, I don't think there's any doubt about that whatsoever. Number two, and I and probably most importantly, it was going to hurt Donald Trump. Yeah. And, and everything comes back to politics eventually when it comes to to understanding the motivation of most politicians. And I think that it was just too good of an opportunity for them to really stick it to Donald Trump, whose main talking point going into 2020 was the look economy. at how great the economy is. Mm -hmm. Right. And so right. then they got a chance to kill it. And it, and they did. They're not going to allow that thing to come back to life right before the election happens. So I think right. a lot of it was politics, not a conspiracy theory. Right. And I think that we're seeing some of that revealed uh, by Nancy Pelosi when, you know, she rejected Donald Trump's offer of a one point eight trillion dollar relief package. That was really a, a good compromise, at least for Democrats, between Republicans and Democrats. And now it looks like she is going to accept a smaller package, nine hundred billion dollars. And when she was asked about this, of course, as she does, she got very agitated. Uh, but she said she said, well, look, we've got we've got a Democratic president now. And so it's it's a game. It's a game changer. And so it does seem like, OK, she and other politicians who really hated Trump were willing to let Americans suffer for the sake of winning the election. I also wonder with with these big major powers um, kind of wanting the bureaucratic status quo, especially in the United States, 
how much influence those powers, even the World Economic Forum, had over this election. I mean, it was very clear that, you know, China, for example, that and even the WHO, the UN, these kind of just swampy international organizations, that Donald Trump really got in their way, especially when it came to their uh they're they're trying to push the climate crisis as this existential threat him you know pulling out of the paris climate accord they don't like any of that do you think the international powers that be helped influence or drive the outcome of the election at all uh i think to, i think to some extent perhaps um, not not I, i'm not like uh, uh, alleging cheating or anything but right. just you know with funds with pressure with whatever whatever it is yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it at all that one of the main talking points for Joe Biden going, you know, throughout his campaign was that, you know, the world hates us because of Donald Trump, uh, very similar to what we heard about George W. Bush toward the end of his presidency as well. Uh, the world hates us. America first is not good for the world. We mm-hmm. need to be working more. We need more multilateralism, all of those sorts of things. And and I don't think there's any doubt about it that those that, that was definitely part of the campaign. I also think that John Kerry, who was a big part of, of Joe Biden's campaign, and a lot of people who surrounding uh Joe Biden as well. Uh, they're deeply in bed with the World Economic Forum. Yeah. Um, they're deeply in bed with all these big international organizations. They work together all the time. And there was coordination. I mean, you can it, that is not uh, a theory. I mean, it's a fact. There was coordination. The, the the most obvious example of it is the Build Back Better slogan that Joe mm. Biden was using everywhere. He was mm. talking about Build Back Better. Everything was the Build Back Better plan, which is a stupid name, by the yeah. way. But everyone was talking about Build Back Better, right? Well, Build Back Better is is a term. Those exact words have been used for years and years and years by people at the World Economic Forum, by people at the World Bank and other organizations talking about very similar policies. Joe Biden literally copied and pasted the slogan that had been used by these international organizations for many, many years. And then other people like Justin Trudeau, for example, in Canada. Um, Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom, they all started echoing these same talking points, Build Back Better, World Economic Forum, started publishing articles. Right around the same time, Joe Biden started really promoting this Build Back Better mantra. They started releasing articles with Build Back Better all over the place. I mean, dozens of them. And so there's no doubt about it. There was coordination between these groups. However, with all that said, I think at the end of the day, uh, the reason why uh, Joe Biden won the election, if he won the election fairly, and I know there's a lot of people who don't believe that that happened, right. but if he won the election fairly, the reason he won, I think, has more to do with with Donald Trump's personality and his communication skills than it did anything else. I think that was the primary issue. Yeah. Um, I think I think Donald Trump would have been maybe one of the most popular presidents ever if he had just been a little bit better at communicating, stayed off of Twitter a little bit more and had a different approach to people. I, I think that's what it came down to for a lot of of middle of the road voters and even some Republicans. Um, I don't know that the World Economic Forum or any of those people really swayed many voters by right. working with Joe Biden. I think it it was more it was all about Trump. This election yeah. was all about Trump, for better or worse. But they certainly were, even if only privately, they were certainly in favor of a Joe Biden presidency in the same way that that China and a lot of corrupt powers are uh, were in favor of Joe Biden because he does bring us back to a place of, quote, normalcy. If normalcy is, you know, a, a lifelong a politician who is as swampy as they come, who is going to fill his administration with people who are as swampy as they come, who are going to advance this kind of agenda, who have no qualms whatsoever with a, a great reset that the World Economic Forum is talking about. What is the, what is the ultimate goal? I know you talked about this in your first answer, but is is the goal communism? Is the goal, you know, one world government? That's a lot of times what people talk about is the goal world domination by by China or are there people at the top who truly have at least in their own minds generous motivations for making what they think will make the world a better place for human beings? Right. So I think anytime you have a a movement that involves so many different interests with so many different ideas, you're going to have uh, 
different motivations within those within that group, right? This is a massive group. And so some people, so China, for example, you brought up China. I think China absolutely is focused on world domination. I think they've been focused on world domination for a very, very long time. I yeah. think they see that as their destiny and they are somewhat involved in all of this Great Reset stuff as well. And so I think their motivation is they will do anything they possibly can to knock the United States off the pedestal. They don't want them to be the top dog. They want to be the top dog in the world. They want to set the world policy. And so they'll do anything they can to help undermine that. I think Russia, you know, similar sort of thing, right? But when you're talking about people um, like Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum, or you're talking about uh, John Kerry or Joe Biden or other people who have connections to the Great Reset, I think that for them, they believe that the world is a much, much better place when the elites of society are controlling society. And over time, what they've learned is, what the what the progressive left has learned, and the socialist left to some extent as well too, is that you can't just have these progressive policies in the United States and only in the United mm -hmm. States. Because what happens is, People leave the United States. Corporations leave. They go someplace else. Yeah. And Europe has realized this too, right? And that's why Asia has grown so much over mm -hmm. the past 30 or 40 years because the labor was so cheap there. It was so easy to move overseas. And, and why would I produce my products in the United States with all these regulations and taxes and everything when I can go to uh, China and do it for a lot less money? And so what they realized was we need to do this on a global scale. That's the only way we're going to be able to, to enact these progressive policies and socialist policies in some cases on a global scale. That's the only way we'll be able to control and manipulate everything that's going on. Uh, if we don't have international, if we don't have an international body, international rules uh, that are enforceable, that have some teeth, then there really is no way that we can make all of this work. And so Barack Obama especially started moving us heavily in that direction yeah. of, 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 you know, working with the United Nations, working with all these big international institutions to come up with these gigantic international agreements that everyone was supposedly going to go along with, the Paris Climate Agreement being one of the most notable examples of that. Uh, and Donald Trump came in and was essentially a hand grenade in the room and essentially said, no, we're not doing this. We're doing America first. And I don't care what any of you people yeah. think. And he became a massive roadblock for this whole effort. And he had to be taken out of the equation. And now that they think that they've got him out of the equation, I think, yeah, it's right back to business as usual. Let's expand these things out. Let's put the elites in charge. Do the, I, I do believe they think that by putting all these elites in charge and giving massive uh, power to the, the United Nations and people who go to the World Economic Forum meetings in Davos and all of that, that the world will be a better place. I think they genuinely believe that. They believe that they should be the ones with the power um, and that, you know, the rest of us are all just too stupid to know what's good for us. And so there's a little there's there's a little bit of everything there, right? They get to be super powerful, which is something that humanity has always stri strive for. There's always been people in society that want to be very powerful. They get to satisfy that urge. While at the same time, they get to say, I'm saving the world on top of it. Um, and so I, I think there's a, is a little bit of everything in your answer. The only thing I would say this really doesn't have anything to do with of the things that you mentioned was communism. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't believe that this is communism. Yeah. I, I think that um, th that the AOCs of the world, for example, and the Bernie Sanders of the world would actually not necessarily be in favor of a lot of this stuff because they don't want corporations to have more power. They don't want um, elites to have more power necessarily. What they want to do is just destroy the entire system, not use it to accomplish leftist goals. They want to break the whole thing down and start all over again and have a true sort of communist revolution. And that's not really what these people want. They want many of the same social programs and stuff, and and they do want to control society, but they want to do it from the perspective of, of, of a person who's an elitist, who believes that they're the intelligentsia, that they are the well-educated people of the world, that they should be in control of society. And it's a, it's a more top-down approach than someone like Bernie Sanders would normally be in favor of. Well, at least at least in theory, I would argue that even though Bernie Sanders and AOC and Ilhan Omar, those people talk like they want to tear it down and they truly just want this equal, you know, socialist uh, utopian society, 
they are the elites. They dress like the elites. They spend money like the elites. They live like the elites. Uh, they, you know, uh, their their friends are the elites, especially Ilhan Omar with some of the stuff that's come out about how she's been paying her husband's firm. I mean, these people function like elites while also talking about the importance of equality and everyone having equal outcomes. Same thing with Kamala Harris. She came out with that video that really was a, a communistic idea, saying that equity means that everyone ends up in the same place. Well, not everyone has ended up in the place of being potentially the vice president-elect. So um, I would argue that even if the World Economic Forum and this whole Great Reset doesn't have a goal of communism, I would think that AOC and Bernie Sanders will still go along with it because they might say that they're against elites and this kind of hierarchy. But every socialist since, I mean, you know better than me, but every socialist since the beginning of time has maintained that elite status, even while the plebeians are suffering under their destructive ideas. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, oh, for oh, for sure. I mean, look, there, there is a, there's a certain set, there's a, there's a little bit of schizophrenia when it comes to the left in general, but especially the socialist left. Uh, they are, they are massive hypocrites, and we've seen this over and over and over again. People who say they, they live their whole lives. In some cases, they, they fight revolutions. They kill people over this idea that they want absolute equality. But then when they actually take over. They don't provide absolute equality. They take what's theirs. They stay in power. And ultimately, um, the rest, uh, there is a class system. There's the people who are in charge of the society, and then there's everybody else. So I don't think there's any doubt about that at all. Um, I don't know that it's conscious always. And I think they like to believe that they, if right. they actually had the power, they would do it differently. But you're right. When they actually get it, they don't, they don't ever behave that way, which is why Bernie Sanders has three houses. Why right. does Bernie Sanders have three houses and give no money to charity? It doesn't make any sense. Right. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that front. And I would add one more thing too about that. I mean, there's another motivation here too. Even if you were a AOC or Bernie Sanders, and you don't like the idea of, of these big international corporations working with these big international elites and, and controlling society from a top-down way instead of a grassroots Marxist revolution uh, strategy, even if you didn't like that, there's there's a lot in it for you to go along with it because these people are promising all sorts of big socialist government programs on yeah. top of it. The things that AOC and Bernie want, like single payer health care, federal jobs guarantee, Green New Deal. Yeah. And that's deliberate. The, the elites are doing this on purpose. They want to create this alliance with the hard left. Yeah. And uh, even though they're not necessarily in that same camp, they know that if they promise these things, it will help them get the job done. So yeah. there is a little bit of an alliance here, even though I think they have, there's some conflicting interests. Right. I think that probably most Democrats and, and maybe some Republicans, too, who are more, um, you know, there are Republicans that are in favor of big business and big government in, in some ways. But I think that probably the Democrats primarily and the Republicans that kind of go along with some of these left-wing policies, they probably don't know that they are a part of this greater Great Reset agenda. But when you think about, if you were to break down a lot of what you've said, that people at the top at the World Economic Forum, these kind of, quote, global elites, to, to borrow a term, um, they want to use chaos to take control. And maybe in, in their mind, they think that control is going to be for the benefit of the entire world. But you can see how there are politicians here in America who create chaos, not just physical chaos, not just chaos that or economic chaos that comes from lockdowns or physical chaos that comes from these riots and arson and looting, the stuff that has certainly been fanned into flame by some Democratic politicians, uh, but also moral chaos. Like there is, um, there is a lot of moral and I would say intellectual chaos that's coming from, for example, academia and even our public school system about, you know, what is a woman, what is a man? Postmodernism has really turned America's youth, uh, their brains to mush in a lot of ways. And so you can kind of see how, even maybe unbeknownst to some of the people pushing these chaotic policies, how it is advancing uh, the agenda of, you know, bureaucrats taking control of all of these different aspects of our lives to push this, 
you know, left-wing social program, big business, big government agenda. Would you agree with that? Or am I putting pieces together that don't really go together? No, I, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Uh, going back to what I said before about the schizophrenia of the left, uh, y- you know, the left is is really bizarre when you actually start breaking down some of the factions that exist in the left. You've got radical Islamicists in the left with radical feminists. How yeah. does that make any sense? Right. Right. How does it make any sense that you've got people who are deathly afraid of climate change, but then other people who want open borders that are going to allow lots of people to come from all over the world where they're not exerting, they're not part of a societies that are producing lots of CO2 emissions come to the United States where they're going to produce on average more CO2 emissions. How is that good for society? Why do you want open borders? but also gun control. How mm-hmm. can you have those two things? They don't even make sense. So there's or all defunding sorts of con- the police and also yeah. gun right. control or defunding the police, gun control and a reconfiguration of the suburbs. Exactly. I mean, even you, I mean, even in, I know you've talked about this before, but I mean, look at feminism and the transgender movement. I mean, these two things are, are totally in conflict too, depending on what kind of transgender situation you're talking about. So there's all sorts of problems when you actually start looking at the pieces of it. But what they all have in common is one thing. And I think that that's what you're touching on here. What they all have in common is they know that the existing system will not allow for them to accomplish whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. And that it has to be torn down. Mm-hmm. It has to be torn down in order to rebuild it the way they want it. And that rebuilding part is the part where they kind of disagree that what a feminist would say is very different from someone who is aligned with radical Islamicism. I mean, they're very different ideas for how they want to rebuild society. But the point is they need to destroy the existing society. That's the only way they need to tear down the Constitution tear down this concept of individual liberty. They need to tear down capitalism in order to, and private property rights, in order to accomplish whatever it is their goal is. So really the modern left, at least in the United States and and throughout much of Europe, I think this is true too, is an alliance of sorts of people who don't like traditionalism. (laughs) Yeah, they don't like the system. And how they wanna rebuild the system is different, but they don't like the system. So creating that chaos is, part of that alliance. They can all at least agree on that. And there, it's not even necessarily just people who identify themselves on the left. Like, I think this is a very small group of people, but there are, you know, ethno-nationalists, there are white nationalists who actually find, they find common cause with a lot of the identity groups on the left. They find common cause with, for example, uh, you know, Antifa or those more radical groups on the left because they too think that the American system is bad, that it's done a disservice to people, that, you know, they reject conservatism because they say, what is conservatism actually conserved? And so um, there are, that that's that group of people too. It really kind of does span the traditional spectrum of people who just want chaos. And they're, like you said, not all of their goals are shared necessarily, their end goals and their end vision, but they all want a destruction. And it's almost like they want to duke it out to, to see who wins. Whereas people like you and me, I don't know how, you know, big of a share we are of the American populace, probably a pretty big share if you were to get down to it, that are like, no, 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 no. There are really good institutions in place that work that we need to preserve, like the Constitution, like, you know, our our Bill of Rights, property rights, um, even the idea of the rule of law being based on some general idea of biblical law, God being our moral lawgiver and our giver of uh, of rights that cannot be arbitrarily taken away by the government. This idea of self-governance. The church is good. Religion is good. Faith is good. Uh, the, the nuclear family is good. All of these things have acted as bulwarks, as defenses against totalitarianism. And so you can actually see why the people who hate these traditional systems and want chaos and want control and want something new have to tear down things like the family, have to tear down things like the church, have to tear down the things like individual rights and property rights. All of those things are and have been for hundreds of years standing in the way of people who who want all the power. Do you agree? Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the, there, there's no doubt about it. And the way you know that what you're saying is true, the way that we can we can prove it is that the left never comes out or they rarely come out and say what they actually want to do. Mm. It's always coded in all of this other right. language that really isn't the truth. It isn't really what they're after. And and then and then they run politicians like Joe Biden who position themselves as being so-called moderates when they're not really moderate. Why do they do that? Why don't the left just why doesn't the left just come out and say what they really want? Because because they know that's not what most people really want. Yeah. Even most, I think there's even a sizable chunk, maybe even most Democrats don't even want a lot of the things yeah. that they're calling for. And so, uh, you, know, you know, we did a poll uh, a year ago or so where we asked people, uh, likely voters, what they thought of socialism, for example, and a whole bunch of other sort of authoritarian things related to socialism. And the majority of Democrats didn't even support the vast majority of these things. Yeah. Not even the majority of young Democrats in some cases supported them. So this really is a fringe group within the Democratic Party that's driving the agenda and the narrative. And they're able to do it because they control all these institutions in society, like the media, which is super dishonest and not telling people the truth about what this fringe group really wants. Um, Hollywood, the music industry, all of that stuff, their academia, they're all in bed with each other. They're all pushing a much more radical agenda than they're presenting to the public. And then you get people who just watch ABC News every night. And all they see are these little snippets of Donald Trump saying something that, you know, is oftentimes taken out of context. It isn't said the best way that he possibly could or he's fighting with people or whatever. And that's what they think politics is. And they're not even paying attention to what many people on the left are trying to do. And we saw this with the Black Lives Matter movement. Maybe this was the best example of it is how often were people on our side of, of the issue talking about what the Black Lives Matters organizations were calling for and how radical it was. I mean, really radical, extreme right. ideas, right? But the media never talked about those things. They kept it to whatever the most basic, simplistic thing, it, like we want racial equality. Well, yeah, I want racial equality too. Yeah. I, I want equal rights under the law. Right. Who's opposed to that? But you, you know? don't want to abolish prisons and abolish the police, which is, <laughs> no. which is you know, what they were, what what they were calling for. But you're right. I would say a lot of outlets, a lot of outlets didn't want to say that because they know that criticizing an organization like Black Lives Matter, you're going to be characterized as a racist, which is the worst thing that you can be called. No one wants to be considered uh, a racist. And so it's it's very clever, these tactics of if you speak out against any part of this chaotic agenda, then it's actually because you're a bigot and you're on the wrong side of history and it's also interesting how they point to the bombastic nature of Donald Trump, which he is bombastic in a lot of ways. You and I agree on that. And they say, this is what an authoritarian looks like. He has an authoritarian personality. Meanwhile, the authoritarian policies are not coming from Donald Trump. The policies that are really going to affect our lives that are more authoritarian in nature are coming mostly from the other side of the aisle. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, Donald Trump was called a fascist more times by people who actually support fascism than, than right. anyone probably in history. Right. It was unbelievable how often he would be labeled a fascist. And then you say, well, what is it exactly that Donald Trump did that, you know, was fascistic? I mean, what, what, what did he do that was evident of fascism? And people couldn't even answer the question because the truth is they didn't have any clue why they even believed that he was a fascist. Or they don't then you know. Had, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. It, it, then you had people actually calling for fascism to varying degrees without making realizing. those same accusations. Right. Not even realizing that they're they're actually fascist. It's unbelievable. Well, there's certainly been a bait and switch. I realized, you know, when I ask people who like message me on Instagram saying, oh, Donald Trump's a fascist. And I ask them why they typically send me some kind of unsourced meme or like one sheet or that I don't know went around on social media and they found or someone emailed to them or sent to them that again doesn't actually have any basis in, in primary sources. But one of the things that is always said is like putting your country first, that nationalism is a form of fascism, I guess, because, you know, uh, they see Hitler as being a nationalist, but he wasn't. 
Hitler was an ethno-nationalist, obviously. He had other very racist tendencies um, as well. But I think that that is also a product of American education and a product of Barack Obama's presidency, that the idea of loving your country and putting the interests of your country first is um, nationalistic, which in turn is evil and fascistic. And obviously... It's not like if you put it uh, at a on a smaller scale, someone who is the mayor of St. Louis saying, look, I think St. Louis is the best city in the world. And I'm going to put the the interests of St. Louis before I'm going to care about the interest, uh, the interests of Tulsa, because that's not my job. I'm going to take care of the people here. You wouldn't fault that mayor for being a fascist. You wouldn't say that they're crazy. No, you would say, oh, they love their constituents. They love the people in their city. And yet, because Donald Trump talked about America first and putting America first, I think people have just been conditioned to believe that that is some like Nazi like idea. And that could not be further from the truth. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. And and I think you're exactly right. They equate that they, they create they equate uh, a nationalism or a love of your country f- with racism, with fascism, with all of these things. Now, obviously, fascism, historically speaking, in the 20th century was closely correlated with with nationalism, with ethno-nationalism yeah. specifically. You're right. Uh, there's no doubt about that at all. But it would, they were also socialists, too. Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they weren't free market capitalists. Yeah. They weren't libertarians. I mean, these people were socialists. That's what made the fascism so dangerous, is that they were using the power of government to impose their will on everybody's life. That's what made them fascist. And Donald Trump is not has never done that. I mean, the vast majority of his policies, not every policy has been perfect, obviously, but the vast majority of his policies have reduced the size of government, reduced the number of regulations, reduced the control of government in our lives, reduced tax rates, uh, et cetera. These are not fascistic in any sense of that word. Um, but you're 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 100% right. What the left has done is it's become predominantly a globalist movement. And anyone who is not globalist, anyone who 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 believes that America is a unique place, America is a special place, it's an exceptional place, or or anyone who believes that Canada is a unique place and a special place and an exceptional place or whatever is is bad for the world. That the yeah. only way that we're ever going to solve all these big challenges we have, especially climate change, that's the big one that they talk about all the time, is if we're all working together. And by working together, they don't mean I freely as yeah, a, you know America exactly. freely decides what we're going to do or me as an individual freely chooses what to do they mean work together by imposing their will on everyone who disagrees with them that's what they mean by that yeah. and there's no doubt about it that that has been a key part of leftist thinking for for a while now but it's become it's ramped up ever since Barack Obama's become pre- or became president right and i think a lot of us have felt that without actually being able to articulate What's changed? What changed while Barack Obama was president? Our country feels really different. It felt really different when Barack Obama left than when he entered with race relations, culturally, socially, politically, how people view America, patriotism dipped. Why is that? And it's, you know, it's kind of come together and come into focus for me just in the last year looking at at this election. A, A lot of things that were bubbling under the surface while Barack Obama was president or the media didn't report on kind of came to blows over the past four years and really over over the past year. I would love for you to talk really quickly about Agenda 2030 and what that has to do with all of this. Right. So so Agenda 2030 is uh, sustain. It's also referred to as sustainable development goals. And what they are essentially are the United Nations produced these um, goals for what the world should accomplish by X, Y, Z date. They've done this in the past. In this particular iteration, it's by 2030. They'll have other agendas in the future where they'll talk about 2040 or 2050 or whatever. Um, And essentially what it is, is it's predominantly leftist goals. It's a a lot of wealth equality. It's some of it is stuff that most of us would agree with. Like we want women to be paid fairly and, you know, stuff that's that's not controversial. We want people to have free speech. We don't want uh, religious oppression. But then there's all sorts of left 
leftist goals built into it as well. The way that Agenda 2030 and, and the Sustainable Development Goals fit into all of this stuff that we're seeing with the Great Reset is that the, the primary part of the Great Reset that deals specifically with how we're going to change businesses, this thing called ESG standards, environmental, social, governance standards, uh, they want to create this whole new system for reevaluating businesses. And that system would give a score, an actual numerical score to businesses uh, based on how good they are at achieving left-wing goals along with how good they are at making money and doing all sorts of other things, right? That's how they would evaluate these businesses. And a lot of those ESG standards are built around the sustainable development goals. So what they're trying to do is find a way to get businesses on board with sustainable development and, uh, and, and sort of coerce them in some cases, force them outright in other cases to become leftist institutions, essentially, so that all international corporations all over the world are required to become part of the leftist movement through this ESG system that they want to build. Uh, and again, there's some disagreement about how they would go about doing it. Right now, there's all sorts of global corporations that have already started right. <laughs> uh, using ESG standards. Right, right. Uh, and you can really see the desire to crush small businesses and to kind of transfer that business to, you know, uh, companies like Amazon, to big tech, to uh, these other major corporations, because if you are betting on or you're depending on compliance for this Agenda 2030 to work, then it's much easier to do if you've got a few big major corporations that are aligned in your social and political goals than trying to manage all of these small businesses. And you can see how really they can kind of circumvent the government in this like it really it doesn't really matter if you have if we technically have a first amendment if we've got these companies that are all in charge that are limiting what we can read what we can buy what we can say who are saying that you know we're not going to process gun sales for example um or like banks certain banks are doing that or if they're saying, you know, we're not going to distribute this kind of book or we're not going to publish this kind of science, we already see some of that happening. Or you're not going to be able to shop with us if you espouse these kinds of views publicly. It really doesn't matter if you have a First and Second Amendment. If you are not even able to engage in the public sector or in, in polite society or you're not able to engage economically, you're basically, you know, economically forced into uh, compliance in the name of the common good. There's a lot of evil done in the name of the common good. And this, a lot of this seems, seems like, seems like that. Um, okay. Is there, is there anything that you can leave us with? Is there any optimism, any, any hope in this? <laughs> like, can we push back at all? And um, also tell people, you know, where they can find you and follow you and all of that good stuff. Sure. Uh, so I think that if we're going to take anything positive away from this at all, it's that the fact that we're having this conversation is a very, very good thing. And, and, and that's the thing that's going to stop this Great Reset from happening. Every piece of evidence that I've seen, polling results, et cetera, show very clearly that most people don't want this, not at least in America. Uh, it's just they don't know what it is. They don't they don't even know how to identify it. And if so, if we can talk to each other about it, and if your audience can talk to the people that they know about it, then we can stop it because politicians at the end of the day want to win elections more than they want anything else, including the Great Reset. <laughs> yeah. So if we can just get people to realize that that's the situation and talk to their neighbors and their friends and the old lady on the bus about it, then we can actually stop this just through a public education campaign. And, and of course, we're going to have to win some elections in the future, too. But I think that's a big part of it. Uh, people who are interested in learning more about my work can find me on social media on basically every platform you can imagine at Justin T. Haskins. And of course, they can go to StoppingSocialism.com and TheHeartland.org and find all sorts of my material and work from people who are closely alive with me as well. Justin, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening. I would love to have you back on soon because there are a lot more questions that I have for you. And um, it, this has been very, very helpful. So thank you so much. Anytime, Allie. Great. <laughs> 
guys, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. So I didn't have time to uh, to say this in the interview, but I was thinking towards the end there, just how important when we're talking about pushing back against um, a, a global agenda that a lot of us disagree with, that is talking about threatening and tearing down uh, not just the institutions that we hold dear, but also our individual rights. Uh, things like individual liberty, like the Second Amendment, like the First Amendment, really get in the way of this kind of top-down control. It gets in the way of this kind of agenda. Uh, the family gets in the way of this kind of agenda because if you are receiving your values and your protection and your provision from a small family unit, then you are less likely to depend on the state. And the more state dependence they have, the more government dependence they have, the easier it is uh, for them to get governments and for them to get people to comply, for them to kind of conglomerate um, all of their power to be able to advance the agendas that they want to advance. That's why conservatism and conserving the family and conserving individual liberty and conserving our constitutional values and the rule of law, faith, uh, religious liberty that uh, allows us to practice our faith freely. That is why we stand um, as an obstacle to rampant leftism. And Christianity in particular has been a thorn in the side of tyrants since the beginning of our founding, not because we're always political revolutionaries, because we reject the idea that we belong to the state. We reject this idea that a government, either a state government, a national government, or a global government uh, gives us our rights and therefore can arbitrarily take away our rights, that we are ultimately and consistently moment by moment beholden to the king of kings. That doesn't mean that we flout all laws. That doesn't mean that we ignore earthly authorities, knowing that according to Romans 13, they were instituted by God. And we have an obligation, according to God, to submit to them insofar as that doesn't cause us to sin. But whether or not we have a First Amendment, Christians are going to share the gospel. Whether or not we have a First Amendment, we are still going to worship the Lord. Whether or not we have sanctioned familial and parental rights, according to the government, we are still going to form families um, in, in accordance to how the Bible tells us to to form families. It doesn't matter whether or not we are allowed to be hospitable or whether or not we are allowed to be generous. According to the government, we are going to be hospitable and we are going to be generous to our neighbor because the Lord calls us to do those things. And as long as there are people that are appealing to an authority that is higher than the government— Um, it's going to make these authoritarians very mad. It's going to make the agenda a lot harder. And so our resistance to things like this doesn't necessarily look like protests. It doesn't always necessarily look like calling your senator or your representative, although I think that's very good. We live in a country where we are free to do that still, right now at least, and that's wonderful. But it also just means uh, living your life in what is now considered or what will soon be considered, I think, a, a radical way, loving God, loving your neighbor and loving family, submitting to God as the ruler and as the authority of the universe, realizing that you are beholden to him, that you are going to stand before him one day, uh, that he will one day rule in totality. And uh, that at the end of the day, that is who we must fear and that is uh, who we must follow. And so that looks like living your life moment by moment, even in what seems like uh, the, 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 dreary, uh, the dreary seasons of life or the monotonous moments of your day in submission to Christ, in obeying him in everything you do as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, as a church member, as an employee, glorifying Christ in everything that we do and submitting to his authority in everything we think, say, and do is the best resistance to tyranny that we can possibly do. That's what Christians have been doing since our founding. And that is how we have been so annoying and agitating to tyrants and dictators for thousands and thousands of years. And may we press on for the glory of Christ. Okay, that's all I've got today. I hope that that 
at least uh, gave you a little bit of knowledge of what the Great Reset is. I, I know it's, you know, there's a lot of craziness out there and a, and a lot of confusion out there. And we really just scratched the surface, but I hope it enlightened you a little bit. And I hope to have left you with uh, some equipment and encouragement as we are waiting in this uh, chaotic and crazy world. Okay, have a great rest of your day.